This week on Aliens Explored, we continue our discussion of the 1980 UFO events in Todmorden, West Yorkshire. In June 1980, a police constable, Alan Godfrey, was sent to investigate the mysterious death of a coal miner. But this is just the beginning of Alan's UFO story. And this week's episode is dedicated to our Explorer of the Week, Dee Nandwani. Dee, thank you so much for helping to support us through our Patreon program. Uh, we know that there are many rewards out there that loads of people would absolutely love to get their hands on. And you are one of them, Dee. So you're helping us make this and future episodes. And we thank you for it. Now, if you want to be like Dee, you want to get on over to patreon.com forward slash aliens explored and have a look at the various tiers we've got and pick one that suits you. Maybe we'll even be mentioning your name on an upcoming episode. So thanks again, Dean Andwani, Explorer of the Week. Aliens Explored is a weekly podcast exploring famous and obscure cases of UFO sightings, alien abductions and other strange events from both a believing and a sceptical perspective whilst keeping an open mind. I'm Stu Jackson, a professional actor and amateur ufologist with a particular interest in the crop circle phenomenon. I'll be debating that otherworldly visitations are real. The truth is out there. And I'm Neil Kelly. I'm a professional actor as well and used to work for the military as an intelligence analyst. I'll be arguing from a more doubtful point of view. I mean, it's all a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Hello listeners, welcome back to Aliens Explored, your weekly look at mysterious objects in the skies and the mutilated bodies they leave behind. I'm one of your hosts, <laughs> Neil Kelly. And I'm your other host, Stu Jackson. Coming from the Yorkshire. In this, <laughs> honour of this episode, <laughs> I Eggy Thump. Oh dear me, I don't think even I can... I probably could maintain that for the whole episode, but uh, I'm you, sure... You, you're pretty much doing it all the time that. anyway, you know. You just... oh, how dare you? I, I, so it's a bit of a... You'll appreciate this as an actor. Um, so it's it's a bit of a thing. When I was first studying, I was mm. told, really, in no uncertain terms, I absolutely needed to lose my Yorkshire accent. I never had a strong Yorkshire accent anyway. Um, mm. People from Doncaster tend not to. You know, people from Doncaster might go around talking like this, but people mm. from Barnsley, they go around talking like this all the time. Like. Mm. So, you know, by comparison, it's quite a soft accent I had anyway. But I was thought, oh, no, no, no. Local accents, you must lose your local accent. You must speak in a received pronunciation. Uh, really, that, that sounds really retrograde. I mean, it, it's funny when you, watch, when you watch old movies, you watch something like... Uh, I don't know, Alfred Hitchcock's version of the 39 Steps. And there are people, obviously, classically trained actors who speak 
in heightened RP naturally, mm. um, putting on an accent in, a, in which is almost a caricature. Mm. And so, yeah, what we were always sort of at drama school was that, yeah, your your accent is worth is solid gold. If you've got a regional accent, however, you must be able to do art receive pronunciation. You must be able to deliver it. Well, if if, if I'm remembering this right, you you trained quite a a while after I did, mm. didn't you? So I I trained from the age twenty one to twenty four. I was 48. So 2007, 2008, I trained. Uh, oh, God. What years was, was I? 20, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, 94 to 97. Okay. So, yeah. A decade um, earlier. But, so, um, yeah. And, and it was definitely like the old guard that were training, you know. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I was told basically there's no way you could make a career as an actor if you keep your... Uh, your broad Yorkshire accent, as I was told. I mean, this ironically, this was up in Sunderland, you know, where they're going to be talking like this. I'm like, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I worked really, really bloody hard on losing my accent, like on a day-to-day basis, hmm. uh, really hard to, to lose my accent as much as possible. So now I've got, I've got the softest of soft Yorkshire accents. I was never able to lose it completely. Um, and when I get drunk, it comes out. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, and and like you've said, your accent it is solid gold. It's really you should be able to do other accents one hundred percent. But uh, you know, versatility is everything. But but I mean, the th- I think the trend these days is for authenticity, isn't it? If they want. Um they want someone with a Welsh accent, they'll find a Welsh actor rather than someone who can just do a, a, a believable Welsh accent. I mean, or I've seen, I've seen jobs advertised where they say, well, you must have a, not, not a, a Yorkshire accent or a Lancashire accent, but specifically a Blackburn accent. Mm-hmm. Um, and by authentic, we mean you would be able to convince, you'd be able to go to Blackburn and convince someone that you were from there. Yeah. I mean, Blackburn's Lancashire. Mm. They but, talk yeah, quite di- quite differently. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but they they want it that, and the only way you can really do that is is to be from there. Yes, I I I agree completely. I mean, I can do a sort of Lancashire. Mm. Although, yeah, I would say Lancashire and Manchester are two different accents that I can emulate. But uh, but no, mm. the, the closer you get to Yorkshire, the harder an accent becomes for me. Yeah. Any, uh, mm. yeah. Anyway, so anyway, uh, yes, that buggered me up. <laughs> yeah, we're here to talk about events in uh, Todmorden in West Yorkshire. Um, and last week we got as far as discussing the mysterious case of Zygmunt Adamski, a coal miner who left his home to go shopping, and whose body was found three days later on top of a big pile of coal in Todmorden, twenty miles from his house, and PC. Alan Godfrey was sent to investigate. Um, that that sounds a bit. They, they just sent a, 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 a police constable. That's that, yeah, that's quite. They didn't Wait, even, didn't even they, say he was a detective. You know, it's just, they just sent a, a copper. This isn't London. We're talking about yeah, which I'm saying someone least, yeah. from London. Now they didn't have things like that. Things like that in the big cities. Place like. Tinsley and uh, Tink or 
sorry, Tingley, um, where he was from, and, and Todd Morden. They're not big places at all, but you're talking but, like a but, few thousand people. Someone who's but, died a mysterious death, who's going to be examined by a forensic scientist, they're the ones who you know, confirmed that the, they couldn't identify the source of the burns, they can only speculate. The burns have been treated with a strange ointment that forensic scientists won't be able to identify, but they're still just left... The lowest ranking police officer in judges, the police, a young police constable. So, but yeah, I guess they do things differently up north, as you say. They, they do. Um, so, to give you, to give you a basis for comparison, London's uh, population is around nine million. Hmm. Todd Morden, the population is around thirteen thousand. Yeah. So you're looking at a much, much smaller community. They, they, they wouldn't have resources for, like, detectives and things like that. And you're talking about the initial, you know, basically someone's called in, they've found someone who's dead, you need to send someone out right then and there. You haven't got time to go calling off to Sheffield or Leeds or one of the big cities. No, but you'd send the copper out there to establish a perimeter to protect the crime scene and wait for yeah, the experts to turn up. You know, go, go out there. It looks like a suspicious death. Just confirm. <laughs> Even that's getting a bit above your pay grade. Confirm that the death looks suspicious. Well, and, confirm and, that they're dead, first of all. <laughs> yeah, that they're dead. Yeah. I, I, mem- I remember once uh, Janet an and I was... investigation. We, we were driving home through Vauxhall, and we were stuck in heavy traffic, so we were crawling along. And at the side of the road, there was a dead body. With a, he just had a, a tarpaulin or something thrown over him, but you can see it was a body underneath. It was a foot sticking out, and a copper just stood next to it, just chatting on his radio, just basically guarding it. Um, that's what I would have thought. Anyway, they do well, things differently I, in Yorkshire. I I think some kind of context for what was going on in West Yorkshire at the time might be useful as well. Uh, at this point, because I think it might have had an impact on the importance of action being taken or being Mm. seen to be taken. So at the time, there was a serial killer in West Yorkshire. You'll remember this, Neil, the Yorkshire Ripper. I do indeed, yeah. Um, Peter Sutcliffe, as we we came to know him. Mm. Well, at the time, he hadn't been caught and he was still going around killing people. And this was West Yorkshire, so this is the same county that Mm. this has happened in. And West Yorkshire police were under a huge amount of criticism for not having caught him, for having Mm. virtually no leads to go on. Um, So, yeah, they, they were under massive scrutiny. To have gone to a crime scene and then done nothing instantly about it would have looked really bad on them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This makes it look even more reason to to send some resources to this thing. I remember that at the time, um, the police had been diverted in their investigation by a guy who ended up being called Wearside Jack, this guy who sent tape confessions to taunt the... Um, the, the officers leading the hunt for the Ripper, taunting them, saying, you're nowhere near closer to finding me than you were when you started out and all this. 
And so they were looking for a guy with a with a with a northeast accent, Sunderland or or, or Newcastle, and they reckon they reckon that it delayed the investigation so much that uh, two or three more deaths are attributable to him, to that yeah. that distraction that he caused them. So it was a yeah, it was a huge huge public relations nightmare as well. It absolutely was. So. I, no, I can see them sending out like you know, right? You know, go out, check this body. You know, find out what you can as quickly as possible. Mm. Yeah, yeah. They're sending someone from Leeds or wherever, Huddersfield. I don't know because it's West Yorkshire. Yeah, mm. um, yeah. Uh, I I can see them wanting to react. So yeah. I I don't. So plus, they were, it was they were busy at the time. Uh, plus, it was but, 1980, and yeah, times were different. Things were different. People mm. were different. Everything was different. Anyway, um, we, we, we've talked a lot about the state um, Sigmund Adamski was found in. We did. Um, and that this young police constable, Alan Godfrey, was sent out to the crime scene. Yes. Um, Godfrey later said that Adamski looked like he'd been frightened to death. And said he couldn't rule out um, an alien, an alien abduction, or the the involvement of a a UFO. Um, mm. But then, what happened? A few. This was in June of nineteen eighty. Yes. Uh, fast forward to November. Was it November nineteen eighty? Yeah. yeah, five months later in November. Um, yeah. He gets the early morning call out. There's some, there's some escaped cattle roaming round in a, a, a residential area. Yeah, a housing so, estate. You know, I mean, that gives you an idea. We're not. I mean, it, it's sort of. I'm going to say a semi-rural sort of area. A lot of West Yorkshire is very rural. Mm. Um, these areas like Tubmarden, yeah, they're they're semi-rural. So, yeah, just to get, it gives you the idea as well. Um, yeah, so he goes out to look for these escaped cattle. Tell us what happens next, Neil. He was stopped dead in his tracks by what he claimed was a UFO. Um, he said the object was bright, a bright light in the sky, a rotating diamond-shaped vessel, quite small, 20 feet high and 14 feet wide. Yeah. So a sort of hovering, turning diamond. He... He, he got out his notebook, made a quick sketch of it, grabbed his radio to call it in. But the line was dead. Yes. Um, and suddenly suddenly this UFO disappeared. There's a bright flash. The thing was gone. And Godfrey found himself sitting in his car 30 yards further down the road. Um, he looked at his watch and was surprised to see it was 25 minutes later yep. than it had been to what he'd perceived as just moments before. And um, he, one of his boots was split open and an itchy mark had appeared on one of his feet. doesn't really go into what that itch... Do they mean like a burn or just... Well, just your guess itch. is as good as mine. That's, that's yeah. as much information as we have. Um, um, yeah, he, he drives back to the spot where he, he just was. Um, despite the fact it had been raining, the road in that area was dry. And the cows, the the cattle, were in a park next door where they hadn't been previously. Mm. 
So you've got, um, so it wasn't just a dead line on his radio, his entire radio died, mm. which suggests electromagnetic interference. Oh, he didn't charge the battery. Um, it's possible, but with UFO encounters, um, electrical equipment going dead is not an uncommon thing at all, uh, as is lost time, lost time phenomenon. Um, hmm. Only 25 minutes in this case. Um, the road being dry after it rained. Now, that I find quite intriguing because that suggests to me a, a massive heat source. And remember, um, Zygmunt Adamski had, had burns on his head, back of his head, round his neck and his shoulders. So I'm definitely seeing some sort of heat source. There. So it's raining and you're standing on a wet road and there's a flash of light which is bright and hot enough to dry the road. I think that's going to dry you out pretty well as well. Quite more than just a, a little burn in your boot. It had been raining. It wasn't that it was raining at the time, but it had been raining. Hmm. So it had been raining previously. But... So it, he returned to where he'd seen the light and discovered the road... It says the road where his car had been was yes. completely dry. So, to me, that doesn't mean the whole road. It just means there was this dry patch where his car had been. The road was wet, and he could see that his car had been moved because there was the dry patch where it had been standing. Although, uh, it kind of been stood there a lot. Um, but I'm seeing it more than just like the, the spot itself where his car was, but the area around where his car had been. So the area where this incident took place. That's how I'm reading it. But that is open to interpretation. Yeah, I'm 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 a bit confused. I mean even it, you'd have to leave your car there for a while to leave a dry patch where Oh yeah, absolutely. Where he, I, I, he, he, I assume he just pulled up, got out, saw this thing in the sky, and whoosh it was gone. And uh, he was back in his somehow he was put back in his car and had a hole in his boot. Um, down the road as well. Yeah. Um, when he finally managed to report this encounter, Godfrey, not surprisingly, was met with scepticism and ridicule. You can yeah. imagine the macho environment of a West Yorkshire police station and you start trying to tell them about UFOs. Mining communities yeah. again. You know, sensible people, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- well, I mean, sensible I, or, or even even so superstitious that you try and tell them something like that, and they can't. They can't even con- consider it. They can't. It, it's such a, a terrifying idea to them that they can't even think about it. They they just have to immediately all their defenses go up and they start with yeah. the skepticism and ridicule. Yeah, that, yeah. More open minded people, I would have thought. They wouldn't necessarily believe you. They might be they might be very rational people, very skeptical people, but they're not terrified by what you're telling them. So they're prepared to listen to you and say and maybe say, Well, could it have been this, could it have been that? Maybe have a conversation with you about it. The idea of you know immediate skepticism and ridicule um suggests he was telling them something that, that they really didn't want to hear. Absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head when you said machismo as well. I mean we we discussed Miners and and their um, kind of their general psychological traits. Mm. Um, we never mentioned machismo, but that's a huge part of it as well. Oh God, yeah, 
Um, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah I mean, on, on building sites, they have to Inesc- order people to wear hard hats and ear defenders because otherwise they won't. If you just oh. say, well, here's a hard hat for you to wear, here's some ear defenders. Oh, you're bloody soft. Don't worry about that. You know, yeah. You better, yeah. Better, oh, better, God, no, they have to from, make you do it. My time in the automotive industry, I can share with you horror stories about people who've, who are now blind as a result of like not wearing the ride protection when drilling and after being mm. told several times and oh god yeah but, but that, that's a real digression but absolutely but another aspect to remember as well in a small community like this mm. anybody who stands out from the crowd or is seen to stand out from the crowd is going to be met with ridicule because you just don't in that sort of environment. You don't be seen to be different or other at all. No, you don't um, want to stand out. No. So I think, I think Alan Godfrey, an incredibly brave and courageous person for for standing up and saying this. This happened to me. Um, absolutely. Yeah. He. he yeah, or or possibly naive. I mean, he was he was young, and he just went back and reported what he'd seen. Um, but that obviously triggered people who, who really um, who really didn't want to hear that. It could really... be, it could be, but absolutely. Well, it, this destroyed his career. I mean, that's not the the end of the story by any stretch of the imagination. No. Um, but he was being met with huge amounts of ridicule, um, as you rightly say. So he was advised by a solicitor friend of his um, to go under hypnosis. Now, mm. hypnosis, not the most reliable resource going, um, but I suppose his friend suggested it because, well, that might get to the bottom of what it is, and then, mm. you know, people will go away, people will shut up about it. But what comes out under hypnosis is that in that missing time, he was examined by several small creatures and a tall humanoid-looking creature with with a beard. Mm. Um, So that didn't help him (laughs) very much at all. Uh, The ridicule continues, and this is where we get into the third event. And mm. he gets called into his office. Now, you remember we talked uh, a couple of episodes ago about the men in black. And yeah. I, I made a comment mm. um, that I'm now eating my words on. I said, of course, these things all happen in America. There's no there's no evidence of this happening in the UK that I'm aware of. Well, he gets called into the office and there's a guy sat there in a in a grey suit looking very mm. sombre with a large file um, who is described as a man from the ministry. Uh, and yes. Alan Godfrey is put under a huge amount of pressure to swear that he won't discuss any of this under the Official Secrets Act. Yeah. yeah. You and I have both signed the Official Secrets Act. We have specifically Section 2, which is the bit for our our listeners who aren't aware, who might not have heard this before. It's the bit of the Act that says you will not talk to anyone about anything ever. Yep. You can be done for... it's, It's so blanket, it's so general that it wouldn't stand up in court. 
it, it, no. it's it's way too vague. But, I um, mean, technically, saying that we have signed the Official Secrets Act is a breach of the Official Secrets Act. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But uh, but yeah, um, but no, but I've I've not heard of cases of people being required to swear under oath about that they won't talk about a specific event under the Official Secrets Act. That's a new one on me, but your your experience with military is is more Maybe that maybe the wording's different. Um I mean you can be told you know that, that what you've seen is covered by the Official Secrets Act and we need you to sign the Official Secrets Act now. Um and you you if you talk about this you'll be in breach of it. I think that, as a police more... officer, he would have signed the Official Secrets Act anyway. Yeah, but oh, here's the thing about the Official Secrets Act: when you sign it, they tell you basically this is for life. Mm-hmm. You must never talk to anyone about anything ever, ever, ever for the rest of your life. <laughs> but then they keep making you sign it. We had to sign it every six months. And um, remember, my time with the military, they used to take great joy in reminding us that there was still a working gallows in Wandsworth Prison in case we decide to go and play for the other side because the penalty for for treason is death and was right up until the 90s mm. when that was, you know, it was when, we, when Britain joined the EU that the, e, that the death penalty was finally taken off the statute books. But yeah, and yeah, so even though we're signing it for life, yeah, can you sign it again for life, please? Just well, to remind you of the amendments and additions. No, nope, exactly like the same. It's still the same blanket. You know, yeah, don't yeah. talk to anyone anything about about your work. I suppose because a copper, of course, they're going to talk about their work. They need to talk to the public, don't they? They're not. They're not like someone like I was in a bunker doing something that you don't have any business talking about it outside of the bunker. Hmm. Um. Uh, so the, the man from the ministry the who not only made him... You don't talk about the bunker. <laughs> yeah. Um, told him he he'd, he'd signed the official secrets that you're not allowed to talk about it. And then apparently the guy was following him around for a few days. Yeah. Until yeah, Godfrey confronted him in the him. pub and told him to clear off. <laughs> and then he was never, never seen again. again. But the man from the ministry... Now, we, we can only assume... Uh, listeners, that we're talking about the Ministry of Defence here. That's all we can assume. Well, it's been speculated. Maybe he was Ministry of Defence. Maybe he was MI5. Um, What Godfrey thought, he was actually someone from West Yorkshire Police um, sent to warn him from speaking to the press about it because they were already getting enough bad publicity, as you said, over the Yorkshire Ripper case. Yeah. Which they were drawing a blank on. But that's all... Speculation. Uh, maybe it was a man in black. Yeah, and it, it, it later transpired that several other police officers and a bus driver had seen strange lights the same morning. Uh, oh yes, because, but they again that match. I think I'm, I'm going to keep quiet about it. Well, this all comes out. Well, they'd reported it at the time, but it was hushed up. Hmm. Um, that's the thing. Um, yeah. But this is after um, Alan Godfrey. Has it, this only comes out after he has been ridiculed and mm. made a mockery of? They tried to get him sectioned. Now I don't know if that's a, a particular UK term, but um, for our overseas listeners, that's institutionalised. Mm. They tried to say he was like crazy enough that he was 
incapable, like he was a danger either to himself or other people. They tried mm. to get that done to him for, for him saying this and for him simply sticking to his story. I mean, yeah. that's absolutely appalling. But obviously, he lost his job over this. He's, he's lost his livelihood. He, he's lost the respect of the community. And it's a small community he lives in as well. Yeah. You know, he's he's not just famous. He's infamous now as a result of this. Yeah, um, well, yeah and it comes out later. Well, yeah, several other people saw it and reported it. But, but we weren't going to mention that. I mean, how appalling. Well, there, there was a, a, an incident a year later, a, a, a young woman at Todd Morton local called Vicky Dinsdale, who mm. was out walking a dog with her grandfather, and they saw a long, thin, diamond-shaped object that kept changing colour, and her grandfather, who a former sergeant in the army, told the girl to keep what they saw to themselves. Don't tell anyone about this, because he was mindful of the ridicule of visited on Godfrey. Just don't, you know. Yeah. Don't yeah, just a year beforehand. Well, we're still continuing, uh, and still continues to this day hmm. that I'm aware of. Um, but that whole area, the whole Todd Modern area, has become a real UFO hotspot. That people yeah. are reporting things. You know, obviously, we live in a different time now. We live in the time of the internet, where you can report things you know, online, and you don't have to tell hmm. your local your local police officer who's going to share it in the pub that night with all, you know, people who know your family and that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a very, very different time now. Uh, we live in, yeah, a much, much wider community. So, um, but yeah, it's still to this day, huge, mm. huge UFO hotspot area. Um, very bizarre. Uh- but as a kind of postscript to this, at the age of 70, Godfrey told the Huddersfield Daily Examiner that the abduction part he told under hypnosis was probably a dream. And he said, I was, I never said I was abducted by aliens. Yeah. So he's either attract. I mean, memories fade with time, don't they? And say, well, yeah, this thing that came out under hypnosis, well, actually, I don't really remember that. It was just something that was... Well, here's here's the thing. Yes, that part of it only came out under hypnosis. And hypnosis, anyone who does the slightest bit of research into it knows it it is unreliable. And Mm. it is easy for things to be suggested. And, And don't forget, he would have been looking for any excuse to say, oh, actually, it never really happened. Mm. Or... Yeah, it, oh, do, you know, do you know what? I probably saw light reflecting off Venus and swamp gas or, you know, something. Mm. He, he would have been looking for, he'd have been desperate for any rational explanation so he could put an end to to this. Because he said many times, you know, he, he absolutely, he wishes he'd never seen this thing. He wishes it had never happened to him. Um, well, having it's ruined his life. Having done um, PC, former PC Alan Godfrey, the injustice of calling him hapless. Well, I didn't really mean <laughs> that at all. I really meant unfortunate. Um, the least I can do for him is to mention that he has actually published a book, which is available on Amazon Kindle um, and probably other sources as well. Um, it's called "Who or What Were They" by Alan Godfrey. Available for four ninety nine on Kindle. 
And just a little uh, addendum or a correction to that last episode. Um, we said that uh, Alan Godfrey's book, Who or What Were They, was available uh, from Amazon Kindle. Um, it was only when we tried to obtain a copy that we realised that it's not. It brings up the paperback version, which is available for about £28-29. As soon as you click on Kindle, it actually goes to a completely different book. And we can't we can't get it. So um, apologies for any inconvenience caused. We will we will look into getting a copy of the book and uh, letting you know what's in it. There, there are still plenty of reviews. Other people have obviously managed to read this book, but uh, we couldn't. It is cheaper if you buy it on eBay. Um, it's a total of £16.50 uh, new for a new book, hmm. so it's not a used book. Um, so, do you know what? We'll put a link to the eBay one in the description. Great stuff. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. All right. The least I can do is promote his book. If you're listening, Alan. Oh, I apologise for any uh, unfortunate <laughs> language I used to describe your case. But if you are listening, Alan, then do get in touch with us because, yeah, we'd love to interview you. We'd love to hear your opinions on the story and the events. Um, do you know what? I might even reach out to Alan direct yeah. um, and, and maybe review his book. Um, yeah, I I think I still say you know the guy is incredibly courageous. I not just for telling his story in the first place, but for having stuck to it for so long. Mm. You know when it would have been so much easier for him to just say, "Yeah, do you know what? I made it up. It was an April Fool's joke that went wrong, even though it was November." Um, or something, you know, yeah, I did it for mm. attention, you know, then it would have all died down and, and gone away, you know, yeah, he'd have been laughed at and ridiculed for that, but that would have gone away I, I, then. I wonder if he wishes he'd said something like, well, when I got there, the cows weren't in the residential area, they were in the park, and then I got struck by lightning, and look, there's my boot split open. Yeah. And then not, you know, talk to other people about what he actually saw, but not... Um, yeah. Yeah, his colleagues so, on the force. All credit oh, to oh. you, Alan, um, for, mm. for for telling your story and for sticking to it, whatever the explanation might be. Um, absolutely, one hundred percent. All respect. Anyway, um, do join us next. Oh, and yes, and yes. If you sorry. Getting ahead of myself there. If you do want to get in touch, Alan, or any of our listeners with your opinions on this or any other of our episodes, of course, then you can do so via the usual means. You can get in touch through email, aliensexplored at gmail.com. You can Facebook messengers. You can tweet us. You can do all those things by searching Aliens Explored. You can leave a message on one of our YouTube videos. I'm getting all confused with myself as I'm talking, mm. uh, hence the gaps in my speaking. And of course, if you are one of our Patreon members, you get exclusive access to our Discord server as well. Uh, so that's worth looking at. So there we go. Uh, join us next time when oh, we'll be discussing um, a UFO doomsday cult. 
That's going to be exciting. Uh, the infamous one, Heaven's Gate. Yeah. Which, sadly, 39 people lost their lives due to. So, we'll be discussing that one next time. In the meantime, keep sticking to your story. No matter whether you think it's UFO or not, just stick to your guns. And, of course, keep watching the skies. But be careful who you tell it to. Yes. Catch you next time. <laughs> bye, bye bye for now. Aliens Explored is a Fecal Films production in association with Juicy Falls. Music by Darren Mafucci and editing by Stu Jackson. Find us on Twitter or Facebook by searching Aliens Explored or visit us on aliensexplored.com.